Hello guys and welcome to AOA Talks. My name is Faisal UK, I'm the creative director of ARC and I'll be hosting this podcast. I'll be posting live Instagram talks that I have with notable figures in architecture and design. These talks are conducted live on all of ARC's Instagram page. That's at all underscore of underscore ARC. So without any further ado, let's get into it. AOA Talks. Hi Barry. How are Hi, you? how's it going? I'm good, I'm good, thank you. Thanks so much for joining us. Pleasure. Thanks for um, the I've, I've been a fan of your work for a long time now. Not just your work, but also your students' work, of course, uh, Bartlett. And, you know, your design approach and, and, and sort of aesthetic that you're, you're developing as well. So I'm really Thanks pleased so to be talking to you today. Awesome. Um, so uh, I'll start with an introduction for people who might not know who Barry is. Barry's an architect, a designer, an educator, uh, the founder of Biofile. Um, a lecturer at the Bartlett in UCL. Uh, and he's also been a guest critic at SciArc, um, UPenn, UCLA, Texas A&M, and um, Innsbruck University. Um, Barry, would you like to add anything to that? I, I don't think I can say anything um, much better than that. It's perfect. <laughs> awesome, awesome. So um, before we get into biophilic architecture, I want to start with some uh, fire round questions. Okay? <laughs> okay. So just give me the first thing that comes to mind. Okay. Okay. Uh, favorite architect? Um, Macintosh or Gaudi. Okay, fair enough, fair enough. Uh, favorite building? Uh, Sagrada Familia. Okay, uh, favorite city? Uh, Barcelona? Yeah, that's that that the obvious <laughs> one now, right? Um, I'm going to go for Rio de Janeiro. Okay, interesting. Maybe we'll get into why later. Yeah. Um, a favorite time period of architecture? Yeah, I mean, I guess between the answers, uh, it's this kind of pre-modernist thing with uh, Frank, Frank Lloyd Wright and Macintosh Gaudi. You know, it's sort right. of very like material, human right. type period. Right. Uh, okay. A favorite artist or movie? Oh, I, I mean, obviously, like most architects, I love the Christopher Nolan stuff. Um, artist, but oh, I, I. I love seeing all the stuff on Instagram that the VFX guys do, but um, it's probably not very profound. <laughs> all right, fair enough. Um, a favorite software? Mm, I mean, I use Houdini a lot, and that's probably what you expect me to say, but I'm very nostalgic about MicroStation because it's a part one. I used to spend hours in that drawing plans, and it's really nice. You still use? <laughs> you still no, use no, it? not so much anymore, but it's like right. it's the one that I have the nicest sort of uh, memories of. Right. Okay. Fair enough. Fair enough. All right. So let's get into some of these questions now. Um, how would you term your approach to design, and um, how did you first get into it? Okay. Um, I think it's always really difficult to somehow define what you do. Um, it's always nice to hear what other people define it as. Um, I, I guess what I'm, what I'm trying to do in the work is push what has traditionally been called a relationship to architecture um, between nature and architecture, sorry. And, and I feel like what we have to do now is move into thinking about sort of, let's call it ecology and architecture and right. So I guess that for me, um, when I was a student, I, I sort of stumbled across this um, concept of biophilia, which was a book by Edward Owen Wilson. He's an American biologist. And that coupled with um, a biophilic 
design principles book was a catalyst into thinking about these kind of concepts beyond the, you know, sort of nature as a formal inspiration into thinking about it more as a kind of um, psychological, spatial, kind of ecological approach to, to design um, architecture. So I guess um, the question would be, what is biophilic architecture to you? Can you maybe define it for people who might never have heard of the term, perhaps? So biophilia, um, as defined by the, the biologists, um, Wilson, he, he states that humans have an inherent bond and affinity with the natural world. Because effectively we've evolved in that environment for the majority of our evolution. And so what it's sort of trying to say is like, how can we distill the qualities of the natural world and embed that within architecture? So it's kind of broken into three parts. One is like direct nature. So this is sort of integrating plants and cryptograms and water, etc. The second one is indirect nature. So this might be under something like biomorphism, where you're trying to evoke the sense of organized complexity, visual stimulus from the natural world. And then the last, the last kind of sector is sort of like environment in place. So that architecture is, is sort of a product of its biome and it's not a kind of like global condition or an imported condition. So that's the kind of like three, three kind of strands of uh, thought. Right, awesome, awesome. And I guess this year has been a sort of, um, has been a crazy year, obviously. And if there was ever a year for biophilic architecture to be an important part of the discipline, it would be this year. So what, what, what kind of changes have you made or how has it affected your design approach, um, everything that's happened this year? Um, I, I don't I don't know how much it's how much the pandemic has affected my work necessarily, but what I've been enjoying or sort of observing um, is how much those conversations are coming into the discourse of people that are not in the architecture or design profession, right. sort of how the general public is sort of finding this kind of love for their garden again, right. or realizing the kind of importance of going outside and how much they miss that and actually a lot of people in city center flats are bemoaning the fact that they don't have then this access to the natural environments so for me i sort of see it as a potential momentum shift not only to think about um global warming and environmental disasters that we're that we face but also sort of in a much more immediate term about how we design buildings and how we design cities to facilitate these sort of quite primitive needs that we as humans um, feel. Right. And um, I actually wanted to ask you this later on, but I guess this is a okay. good time. Um, in terms of sort of um, non-architects, how, how do they sort of perceive or respond to your, your, your work? Because it's obviously a sort of other aesthetic, right? So how, oh. do, they kind of, <laughs> how, do, they, how do they respond to it? I mean, I, I think that for me, it's almost more interesting than what an architect would say about the work. Because I think that, um, you know, architecture is incredibly wrapped up in archi-speak and we talk right. to each other. And actually, you know, how, how we produce buildings or how we talk about our work and how that relates to the sort of like everybody, I think is really important. I think what's happened a lot with kind of very 
formally extreme architecture or like objects and things that people produce um, as part of their kind of research or design methodology. People don't quite know how to um, like absorb those images and interpret those images. And I think that it's definitely something that sort of like a lot of formal or aesthetic work in this area has to kind of consider is like um, how much is too far and what's the legibility and understanding of these um, things that you're producing. Right. Uh, I, I mean, I always remember my, my wife's uh, aunt saying, oh, Barry, like, I love your work, but I've got no idea what it is. <laughs> and, and I think that, you know, that was, that was like really profound because you have to ask yourself, like, you know, what's the point doing it if people can't interpret right. it and sort of understand it? Right, because right. our work obviously isn't for other architects, it's for the general public. So it's important to sort of get their perspective on it. And um, I, I guess, do you, do you think that every building should embed some sort of natural or nature and biophilic design? Or are you more of the sort of a, you know, postmodernist where it's every architect for themselves or every architect has their own approach? You think this should be a sort of global style that everyone should be practicing? Well, I mean, the, the last thing that I want to see is a global style. <laughs> that's, like, right. that's awful um, and somehow dystopian, right? But I, I, I think ultimately the position that I take is that every single artifact that is made by a human, whether it's a building or an iPhone, as soon as it's manufactured, is fundamentally engaged with and interacting with the natural world and its ecology even modernist buildings are engaging with what we'd call quote-unquote nature. It's always staining, plants are growing in the cracks, etc., etc. So I argue that basically every building is engaging with it, whether they want to or not. So just by, I, or just by us considering that fact and designing certain conditions, we can create this sort of like coexistence of like not only aesthetics, but actually human and non-human built environments. So just because somebody puts some plants on a facade, that doesn't mean that that building is engaging with um, sort of like notions of ecology more than one that doesn't. It's just that one is displaying sort of like symbols of green architecture more than the other. Right, right, absolutely. And um, I guess you, you're sort of not for the global style of architecture so what do you think of um you know the movements right now that are pushing for a global style like parametricism perhaps uh like like the patrick schumachers of the world who want to sort of take over as a as a next best global practice uh, as he puts it yeah i mean you know i have a lot of respect for patrick and i have um, a lot of admiration for his like generosity and his energy that he brings. Um, you know, if you if you sit in reviews with Patrick, he's you know got fight in him to the last breath. Um, right. But I feel like you know the parametricism has become this thing now where it's just like it can't just be everybody that's using the computer as parametric. And I actually think that a lot of the aesthetics and a lot of work of this like continuity and smooth and the surface project is like dead and I don't see many contemporary leaders like actually engage with that project at all. Like mm -hmm. I'm super happy that certain cities have certain characteristics and certain architects produce certain buildings that are extremely different to mine because I find the idea of like a homogeny of um, 
like a gold bottom homogeny, like awful, actually. Right. Uh, so are you more of a fan of sort of discrete architecture and triple O <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's emerging? Yeah, I mean, I, 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 I would rather other people like put my work into boxes and say, oh, it's discrete or it's, it's parametric or it's triple O or whatever. Like, you know, I, 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 I kind of, I don't necessarily subscribe to everything that's, that's, that's been pushed in the sort of the proponents of the discrete, um, as that would be, I would be labeled, but there are so many merits and so much like really great ideas that's been pushed in that discourse. Equally, in the triple O discourse, I think that actually it's incredibly fertile for um, considering how humans may reappropriate their view or their ontology, i.e. position in the world, as not the sort of like God in the pyramid of the tree, right. but is actually that something that is like not necessarily a privileged status amongst things. And I right. think that... Um, on in an ecological conversation, actually, that's very important. Right. So, you know, I, I probably I'm a bit pick and mix uh, from lots of different things. Right. Uh, but in terms of ecology, are you are you more interested in preserving nature or sort of emulating nature? Uh, both. <laughs> right. um, I mean, you know, I think about if a building could exhilarate you and or cam you or you know have these kind of like affects that's like a bit of a forbidden word on you that, that the natural world can do then that's like a really powerful piece of architecture um what i'm not necessarily interested in is just like oh i like a tree so my building looks like a tree <laughs> but, and and then the, the preservation like of course of course like I think that I would hope most people in the world would want to somehow preserve um, the biosphere uh, in, in a way that could be enjoyed for multiple generations, for thousands of years into the future, right. and that the habitat and species loss that, we're, that we've faced over the last sort of 50, 50 years does not continue. I think that's probably quite a globally held uh, view, I would hope. <laughs> And um, so, so you have some controversial opinions when it comes to biomimetics, I believe. <laughs> and I wanna, maybe. I want to get into that. So like biomimetics is becoming popular in architecture, especially recently with all the you know, computational tools that we have now to sort of um, reconstruct nature in a sense. Uh, I want to I know why you, you're not a fan of it or why you don't like biomimetics or well, biomimicry. I, I think I think that probably it's a very misused term or a, a misused concept. Right. Um, and I think that what I would do is maybe just make the distinction between biomimetics and biomorphism. Okay. Now, biomimetics is effectively taking a sort of a system quite often from right. the natural world. So for example, analyzing the, the, the micro textures of a sharp skin, right. understanding those principles, and then applying it to uh, a swimsuit. Now the swimsuit doesn't make somebody look like a shark, yeah? It's just taking the principle and then applying it. So in architecture, when you have that, people can take principles from the natural world 
but the aesthetic and spatial and biophilic offerings of those buildings can still effectively be modernist or right. you know something like that so right. if if the approach as far as i'm concerned to sort of raising ecological consciousness is developed exclusively through technology and that technology is hidden from the general public then that's not moving the discourse forward right. when you have biomorphism i think that there's a level that it can operate and be really really um, productive when it's sort of like somehow abstracted or you take some sort of notion of organized complexity but i think to talk about biomimetics as a literal like you know like i, I use the tree analogy like i like trees so it looks like a tree i like shells so it looks like a shell like that's more biomorphism um but without the abstraction it, it can be a little bit cheesy Right, right. So that's why we don't we don't really have that conversation in the studio. But um, right. I don't think that's controversial. I think that's just um, a personal a personal position. Right. It, it does become sort of more superficial when you're just taking a form that looks like something in nature and sort of building it in, in architecture without any sort of deeper deeper an analysis of it. Um, I do definitely agree with that. Um, so in terms of uh, inspiration, uh, what are some of your inspirations in, in design? When, when you sort of have a new project, where do you gain your inspiration from? Um, honestly, like uh, just going out into the world and looking at stuff. Um, <laughs> I know that sounds really weird, but um, I think one of the things about the pandemic that I've missed is sort of this like, um, inspiration flow from like seeing new things like how new cities or cultures have potentially like constructed their environments and how those buildings or structures might be displaying their natural state or this kind of engagement with with a sort of biome. Um, so for example, I, I moved um, to an area of England where I'm quite close to the seaside and it's the first time in my life where I've lived close to the coast. So I've been really enjoying like this exploring these ideas thinking about um the coast for example so you bring in a totally new way of thinking a totally new way of references thinking about what does it mean to build architecture next to the sea which is totally different to a river or a desert or you know um a savannah so so i think i think for me it's like you know walking around looking at things observing things um that's that's so important and i really like encourage uh, all the students to to, to do that um right. when they can definitely. <laughs> definitely and um do you have any or i'm sure you do who are some of your precursors of your design uh, sort of people I, I know you talked about gaudi earlier uh, who are some of the other precursors of your design that you sort of look look at for uh, inspiration um i love i love um frank lloyd Wright as well like I think his building is really great. Um, I enjoy the kind of monolithic quality of some of like Can's work. Um, Scarpa's great. Um, Enrique Morales, I think his stuff is like absolutely stunning. Um, but I, I also have like a great love of um, Peter Cook. Um, and I think that anytime you sort of get to interact with him, it's also great. Just this kind of like spirit of, um, you know, this 80 year old, and he's sort of like still um, somehow uh, 
has this great energy and this kind of notion of wanting to be radical, which I think is like really like inspiring. So, I mean, that's just like a couple of people. Like, I don't necessarily start projects by, you know, looking at books and saying, I'm going to do a building like this. Like, I think you also like with, with, with social media, like you're constantly looking at images and you're constantly absorbing things that for, sort of like forms a soup of references. So you sort of, you've got observations, you've got presidents and heroes, you've got your own hands, you've got, you know, so you kind of have this soup. So when you start to design, it's kind of like subconsciously just kind of flowing out along with things like a brief or a site, et cetera, or a program. But um, right. I would probably describe it as that. And, and I guess, uh, so, so in terms of sort of having this sort of very divergent and creative approach to design, how do you balance that with the sort of pragmatism of meeting something like client needs or building codes yeah. or regulations and things like that? Because it becomes very hard to do when, when you have to balance both. Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, I think, I think probably um, a lot of the stuff that people maybe know the work perhaps from, it is like super experimental and sort of like trying to imagine and, and kind of push that, that type of thing. But I do also like have, um, sorry, my like stand <laughs> fall apart. But I do, I do also like, um, you know, work in practice and I do have an awareness of these things. Um, I think, I think that, I think ultimately it comes back to the thing that we talked to at the start is about how you can, how you can communicate your work. So for example, you know, if you turn up to a client meeting and you have like these amazing images, but they can't relate to it and they can't understand the value and what right. you're doing, then you're always going to be off on the wrong foot. Whereas if you can communicate to a client or, you know, a stakeholder panel or like whatever it is, like, look, this is like really valuable for these and these reasons, then people are going to be much more likely to invest and want to then spend the money with you as the architect to, to produce something. Right. Um, but you always have to kind of compromise in places and pick pick your battles and sort of know what to fight for in that world as well. Right, definitely, definitely. Um, okay, Barry, I want to get into some uh, some abstract questions, some more okay. non non architecture specific <laughs> questions. So, um, are you into artificial intelligence at all, AI's? Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. Uh, sorry, I can't hear you. One of can you hear me now? Yes. Yeah. yes. Okay. Yeah, I mean, one of the one of the research studios that I um, undertake at the Bartlett, we're, like, we're actually looking at AI. But I think for me, it's about asking questions like, you know, what I think everybody's asking what its role is right now in architecture, um, because I think if it's just going to create more of the same, just a little bit more efficiently, then I'm not really that interested in it. It's like right. trying to think how it can can like push forward. The, the agendas that I've already outlined. Right. So uh, my question is, um, <laughs> do you think AIs will ever gain consciousness? Uh, I mean, I think this is probably <laughs> a, bit too, a bit too metaphysical for uh, uh, maybe someone can answer much better than me. Um, I think I think what I would what I would say about AI, like maybe to try and answer in, in some way, is that you know. Ultimately, if you believe in like a kind of democratic process and you believe in people, then, you know, we can always ask computers questions, but we, we need to define the answers and we need to define the value sets that we want to live our lives by. And so therefore, you know, 
um, whether whether it's conscious, whether it's intelligent, whether it's sort of like you know beyond what we could ever imagine. Ultimately, as humans, we need to I hope still control that decision making process. Absolutely. And um, okay, so do you know about um, Elon Musk's sort of ambition to terraform Mars? Um, I don't know your, your thoughts on that, if, if you have any. I wish, I wish Elon Musk was as interested in Earth, and then, you know, maybe we would have a bit less like, issues down here. I mean, to be honest, like all this Mars stuff, like, I think it's great, and we always need to be doing research and pushing our boundaries, but I, I, I just find it like, I don't, know it, I don't know if it's escapism from like, right. you know, Earth is so uh, complex and tricky. Like, let's just, let's just crack on to Mars. <laughs> it's like, right. You know, right. I think, I think if these people that had these resources and, and intelligence and money were like really trying to say like, well, how can we not have any more fossil fuels? How can we provide food for all the people or the, you know, these kind of other topics, I think, that would be much more productive than than terraforming okay. Mars. Like, what a waste of resources! Right, right, right. No offense, right. Elon Musk. I think it's great, but it's like I just think we need to focus on home a little bit. Right. So, I guess uh, my question would be: What What are some of the most um, important questions that us architects need to be sort of focused on um, in twenty 2020 twenty and twenty twenty one to come? What are the main issues that we need to sort of be uh, be looking at? Oh, I mean... <laughs> Um, yeah, I mean, uh, where do you, where do you sort of start? I mean, I, I think for me, like, I'll just probably go like from what we talk about is like with the students is like, I think it's realizing like what architecture can and can't do. Right. And how much architecture is like one part of like a greater thing in society of like other things that are going on. I think for me, it's like when you're designing, it's like, how can I make something just a bit better? Like, how can I provide like a better quality of life? Like, use better materials and just push something forward just a little bit. Um, I think the big challenges for sure are things like uh, global warming, ecology, but also you know, there's going to be billions more people that are going to need housed um, by the end of the century. And how do we how do we how do we do that? You know, how do we how do we do that in a way that we don't just rapidly produce things without consideration for important topics and just repeat the same mistakes over and over again? So, I mean, it's, it's difficult. I think that the good thing about architecture now is that it is in so many different, you know, it's expanded so much that it is operating in so many territories. And it's how you as a, an architect find your thing and then collaborate with other people to bring in their expertise. Right, right, absolutely. Absolutely. And um, you're, you're an educator and part of the ba uh, Bartlett faculty as well. Yeah. Uh, I want to ask what it's like in the Bartlett and why you chose the Bartlett. Because the Bartlett seems to be a very special place with, you know, people like yourself, like Gilles with discrete architecture or Mario yeah. Carpo. There seems to be like a really big movement happening from the Bartlett. So I wanted you to kind of speak about that a little and why you chose the Bartlett. And what, what is going on there? Is there some kind of special water that people are drinking <laughs> in the Bartlett? Well, I mean, I think that, you know, the, Bar the Bartlett um, has evolved massively um, over the last, the last few years. And I'll come to that, to, to, to your kind of references to, to, to Jules and Mario. But the school really celebrates diversity. 
And what it means is that the school isn't sort of like just doing the digital or fabrication. There's also, you know, there's landscape, there's, there's bio-integrated design, there's performance and interaction. There's people that are interested in, you name it. <laughs> and, it's, right. and there's somebody in the school that's really like um, into that area of the discipline. What it means is that in, in the courses, you get this amazing like cross-fertilization and sort of like positive, com positive differences. But everybody sort of shares this like common goal where everyone wants to just drive forward the discipline, like ask tough questions, push things forward, like not accept anything that's presented to them. Right. And I think the students that come there, they work extremely hard and they're very talented and inspirational. So you get this like really positive like momentum that's built up in the school that's been, you know, started with Peter and sort of led on with all the directors since then. In regard to the, the latter part, um, with Mario and, and Jules, Frederick Migru, who is the Pompidou director, um, was appointed as the sort of chair of the school um, around 10 years ago. And he, he set up the Bartlett B Pro course. Now, the B Pro course um, now encompasses many things that, that some of them I've mentioned. But effectively, it was to create this course where you could have sort of research and teaching side by side. So in this course, you have people that are doing like augmented reality, pushing notions around automation, the Anthropocene. We are sort of exploring like biospatial design and ecology. And that, that is all now so also being sort of formulated into a journal that's being edited by Molly Claypool. Um, and so the work is now being written about as well as demonstrated and so, sort of in the, the prototypes and things that, that, that has been synonymous with the course. So the school now has this massive uh, course and faculty on the BPRO where it's sort of combining like research and teaching as well as the traditional part ones and part twos. So the school is like this massive mix of like diversity where people are kind of um, pushing the boundaries, I guess. Right, right, absolutely. I mean, I currently live in Dubai and, you know, I see the pilot everywhere now when it comes to architecture. So there's definitely something going on there, which, uh, which I do admire. Um, so in terms of uh, teaching, how has uh, how's your teaching method sort of adapted to, you know, the global lockdown and maybe not having um, in-person lectures as yeah. much? Have you sort of had to adapt? Yeah, I mean, we have, like, <laughs> like everybody, but I think for us, it was maybe slightly less severe because we have like, you know, let's call it like a digital methodology. Like we don't need drawing boards or things like that to really to really push the, the design projects. Right. I think one thing that has been a bit of a shame is that we normally make a lot of physical models. And the reason that we do that is because I feel like sometimes when you're just working in the computer, it, the, the process can be a little bit like, like it's a method and a step and somehow things can look too similar. Whereas when you make models or you're working with your hands or there's like a physical production, mistakes and chance and error can happen that can somehow like invigorate that process. Like you can discover things through, through making. And so the challenge has been to sort of like find ways to substitute that, um, notion of chance and experiment um 
just just in computation because we, we haven't had the same access to to the model making or the studio environment where we have everyone in the same space like working together so it's also been this kind of challenge to create this kind of sense of like collective endeavor in the unit but I, i've i've been amazed by the students um actually and the resilience and the real sort of like passion for the work so even with all that they've done other things that sort of like more than compensated so you know architecture students are like amazing and and their sort of commitment so doesn't really matter what the challenge is they always seem to uh, overcome it <laughs> somehow that's awesome that's awesome and uh, you, you spoke about models i actually wanted to ask you this because i saw on your website you have a whole sort of section on models so you know you give models these kind of this kind of um importance i guess and i just want to read your description here which says a model is a three-dimensional representation of a person or a thing or a proposed structure, typically on a smaller scale than the original. Uh, it's a thing used as an example to follow or imitate. Or uh, three, it's a simplified description, especially a mathematical one, of a system or process to assist calculations or predictions, which is I guess it's it's a very comprehensive definition and a very deep definition of what that's, model that's is. from the dictionary. I'm not, <laughs> I didn't. Oh, right. Well, I, I was going to give you the, you just taking the credit for it. No, no, no. I, 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 uh, I mean, fair I, enough. But but then you you sort of have these uh, a very sort of a large catalog of models to follow, and I wanted to ask uh, first of all, is it physical models that you sort of give this importance to, or also digital models? And um, I guess you started talking about why, but maybe you can talk more about why you sort of see models as being yeah. such an important part of architecture and the process of architecture. Absolutely. Um, I think I, you know, I, I've, I've always been producing these like bits and pieces. Um, <laughs> and uh, what, it, what it was trying to do was like explore things like technique, aesthetic, uh, composition, materials, form, whatever it is, right? Like, and and somehow, when you're producing a building, there's so much weight and criteria that can come on top of um, of that when you when you need to do it when it's a building, okay? But when you call it a sculpture, it only becomes formal. It's, it's somehow it, it lacks it lacks the kind of embedded intelligence that could then somehow be extrapolated into a building right. so the notion of a model all the ones on the website are digital because i i just don't have the time to make lots of physical models right. um but often what these things are is they're sort of like little tectonic precursors right. and tests of parts that can then be extrapolated or right thought of or proliferated or whatever it is onto a larger scale to then somehow begin to formulate something architectural. So the model in a way is it becomes like a test of an idea before it then becomes a building and then gets embedded with all the other stuff that buildings need to have to, to be such. So for me, um, in terms of like, you know, we talked about process and methodology, like I think to, that I, to constantly produce these models and like bits of inspiration and you build up this kind of library that becomes part of that soup. Right. Um, I think it can be really productive to kind of like sketch out ideas effectively, like quite quickly. It almost acts as like a little sketchbook of ideas. Right, absolutely. 
it's a, each one is almost like a research project on its own that then later becomes a part of a larger project, which is yeah. I guess the, the sort of importance of it. Um, okay, uh, what, what advice would you have for students or young architects who sort of want to follow the same path that, that you have and sort of uh, want to want sort of get into computational design or biophilic architecture? What advice would you, would you have for them? Um, I mean, the first thing about the computational stuff that I really want to, that I would really promote, like, is that um, I never had a formal software lesson my whole life. Nobody, <laughs> nobody ever, nobody ever taught me anything um, with using the computer. And every single thing that I ever produced, I, like, entirely self-taught. Um, and so one of the amazing things with the internet um, and YouTube and all these things is that you can learn anything. Right. And it's just to have that, like, it's dead easy to make excuses like, oh, well, I can't do that stuff because I'm not there or my, my tutor doesn't teach me this. But honestly, like, teach yourself and just get on, just use use YouTube and a lot of determination and, and you kind of, you, you get there. Um, the second thing is, like, it takes a lot of patience and nothing ever happens overnight. And I think that, you know, you're constantly flooded with all these images of stuff that other people's doing, but you don't realize that that image might have taken them like three months to do, or is like somebody's final project in fifth year, or, you know, as an architect has built up a practice over such a long time. And it's just to be patient, keep going. And, you know, if you can like take decisions with that patience in mind and as long as you're learning and wherever you are like your university your job as long as you're learning something then that's a good place to be as soon as you're not learning then it's probably not that productive is it like i don't know absolutely well thank you so much barry thank you so much for your time um, Pleasure. and um how can people stay updated with your work and sort of keep up with with your projects and your, your new work that you're doing um, I mean, like, like everyone, like I'm, I'm pretty, I try and like post once a week something, uh, on Instagram, either on the barry.work page or the at underscore biofile page. And then the website gets a kind of like big update, uh, twice a year, but that's, that's the kind of the best way I think for most of us to keep uh, connected these days. And, um, your Instagram is barry underscore work for anyone who would like to keep Dated and also biofile, right? Yeah, underscore exactly. biofile underscore. I think it's Barry I don't know. I think <laughs> you can link uh, it from the the chat or or something. Yeah, it's 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 up there somewhere. Nice. Barry underscore work. Awesome, awesome. Thank you so much, Barry. And uh, hopefully we can do this again, maybe in person and a longer version next time. And, I'd love uh, to. If I come to Dubai, I'll uh, I'll give you a show. Awesome, awesome. Thank you so much, Barry. It was great. Nice. Awesome. Awesome. Thanks. Bye bye.